Thank you. Thank you very much. And let me just start by sharing one simple thing is um, I've served under several different pastors, some that you might be aware of, I'll reference in a little bit, and things like that. One of the things the Lord taught me when um, I went through a very tragic experience in my life, I'll mention in a little bit, that uh, the Lord really shared with me a simple principle. He said, you've learned as a senior pastor how to be served. Now you're going to learn how to serve. And one of the principles God really placed in my heart is wherever I put you, that is where you serve with all your heart. And so saying that, it is a joy to call Pastor Tim my pastor. Thank you. And it's a joy to be here with you as well. Um, Kathy leaned over to me a little bit ago and said, after this morning, we've lost all our anonymity. And I said, yes, we have. (laughs) There's a lot that um, I have to share and uh, a little bit of time to share it. So I'll do my best to uh, run through the things I sense that God's given me that we are to share about. Pauses are something that Kathy and I have really experienced throughout our lives, and as you'll see in a moment. Many of the different things that God has brought us through, moments where it has been like God coming along to say, whoa, stop, wait, wait, you know, and it's taken different forms, different expressions down through the years. But there's two classifications that I would like to propose to us today and that deal with this simple concept. I believe that every pause God puts into our lives is purposeful. So I've entitled this morning as Purposeful Pauses. There's two types. One type is in the fact of what God begins to come along into our lives to do, where he pushes, as it were, the pause button into us, whatever expression that may take. The interesting thing about God is that whenever he does that, his purpose is always to deepen my relationship with him. That's always the reason. He has no other ulterior motive. He doesn't get his kicks out of just making life miserable for us. He comes along, and when he starts a pause, a trouble, a trial, a problem, whatever that he allows to come and touch our lives, is with the intent that we are to grow through it and to learn more fully how to depend and trust in him because he is dependable, he is faithful, and he's very willing to come alongside of us and carry us through and to where he would have us do. The second person that has is very purposeful in pauses is Satan. Now, that you've never maybe thought about that before. You'll see that in the biblical example we're going to look at in a few minutes. But Satan also comes along, I believe, and pushes pauses over our lives. But his intent is very different. His intent is to cause us to come to the point where we no longer put faith and trust in God where we turn away from God or even blame God as though, God, you don't care, you don't understand, you don't love me anymore, and so you're trying to persuade me to move away from the plan of God and the accomplishment of it, and that's always Satan's idea. And so he'll push those, put those things in our pathway, and you say, well, Gary, how do you understand which is which? 
Well, you'll understand it because when God's pushing a pause, there's always something inside of us, and the person is called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is saying, just turn to God. Just pray. Just look in his word. And you'll feel that draw toward God. When Satan is trying to do something, he doesn't want to do any of that. In fact, he will likely say, you know, you got the Super Bowl to watch today. Why do you need to go to church? You know, I mean, you got to rest up so you can cheer them on. Get them all the way there because, I mean, that's how they'll make those uh, field goals and those the touchdowns because you yell into the TV and that's how it'll all happen, you know. So you better rest up for it. You'll need your strength for it. I'm being funny in that respect, but oftentimes the enemy of our soul is coming along and presenting us with those opportunities to say, this is why you pause, and it will never, ever lead us to God. With that in mind, let me turn you and share with you a little bit of our journey. Because I want to say it's a journey of pauses that God has brought about in our lives. And this is very brief, but it starts back in uh, 1970. And uh, I, along with two other guys, have a sincere desire to go to winter camp. Now, this is the church camp up at Camp Cedar Crest. Some of you may have been there before. And a uh, great place to go, great place to go and, and be a part of. But we had a, a very sincere purpose in going. We wanted to find some girls. <laughs> very godly, you know. And I make that admission even as a preacher's kid, you know, because my daddy was a pastor, you know. But that was really our intent. And so it's, it's you're very much that that's what we were going to do. Well, we'll tell you about that part in a minute. But uh, God had another plan. And he confronted me while I'm there about going to Bible college and answering a call to ministry. And that wasn't on my agenda. And that wasn't on my plans whatsoever. And so in my mind, as I'm, I'm wrestling with this idea of go to Bible college, go into the ministry, because see, I'd grown up in the ministry. I'd been around it all my life. You know, my, my mom, she uh, played the piano at church. My dad preached. Uh, my brother played the organ. You know, I sat on the piano bench. You know, I, had, I went through all of this growing up. I'd been through all the things, and forgive me if this is in, in any way disillusioning, but I'd been through the challenges of being in a pastor's home. I'd been through the criticisms that pastors get. I'd listen to it. And it, it, it rubs you the wrong way as a child. And you're growing up in it. And you kind of get a little calloused toward that and thinking, I don't want any of this. Why should I? I want to go be a flyboy. Now, I want to go in the Air Force and fly. I want to be a fireman. I want to, you know, I, and these lofty things in my mind. But here I am at winter camp, and all of a sudden God is saying, I want to call you to the ministry. Oh, you know, and immediately my mind is saying, here's all the reasons why that won't work, God. And so I sought out the guy that was speaking that night. His name happened to be Jack Hayford. And so I found him afterwards. Some of you might be aware of him found him afterwards. I knew who he was, and uh, he'd know my father and things like that as well, and sought him out. And one of the first things I said, you know, here's what I was feeling during the service. This is what I'm sensing, but I just want to let you know, I really can't go to Bible college. And he said, well, why not? I said, because I'm a high school dropout. Serious. 
I'm not lying. I, I didn't finish high school. And he says, no problem. We have what's called a standard ministerial license. You can do it in three years. Really? <laughs> and then I tried to give him a couple other reasons why this won't work out. And he checked them all off for me. Finally, he, he said, thanks. It's been nice talking to you. I'll see you in the fall. Oh, and by the way, two and a half years later, I married that girl that I found at the winter camp. She's a beautiful lady sitting on the chair over here. Nineteen seventy-three, we went and uh, to minister in Kansas City, Missouri, and we worked with youth and worship and uh, music ministry there. Started a choir and some other music things that took place there. And uh, God brought us through a period of time. We also helped work on building the church. Uh, got my construction experience right there and uh, learning how to do those kind of things. We moved from there to Lafayette, Indiana. You might be familiar with that as the uh, home of Purdue University. And uh, place where that is, we went to be the senior pastors there of a thriving congregation of 35. And... Uh, and so forth. And it was a very storefront type of uh, church building that we were at. We had the opportunity of living in the back of the church as well. And that has a whole series of stories that could go with that as well. And all from that time. But God was gracious. And by the time we left there, about three and a half years later, God had grown it to about 100 people. And uh, we moved from there to Muscatine, Iowa, 1977. And uh, Muscatine is likely not a place hardly anybody, if anybody, in this room would even be aware of. And, uh, but it's a little town uh, on the Mississippi River, south of Moline, Quad City area. And uh, was a nice little area, about 23,000 people within it, and a thriving metropolis uh, that it was. And yet God allowed us the opportunity of really seeing a lot of good things take place. Church grew quite a bit. We had the opportunity to be involved in a radio and TV ministry there while we were there. And um, it, it, things were just going good. And then I get a phone call from the district supervisor saying, would you consider about going to this other location and checking out this church? I think it would be a good match for you and them in going and pastoring there. Okay. So we get in the car and we're on our way there. While we're in the car, we're talking as a family uh, we have three children, and by then, and my son uh, at some point, and I don't even remember the context now, but I remember what he said. he said. He said, Dad, I wonder if we haven't become too comfortable with where we're at. And it was just like that that the Holy Spirit just said, did you hear that? Now, I wouldn't have judged we were comfortable as far as being said, oh, it's just kind of nice hanging out here, just showing up, doing our thing, and so forth. But uh, the Holy Spirit had another plan. And he took us to Waterloo, Iowa. And uh, uh, we had the opportunity of meeting our Waterloo there, if that makes any sense to some of you from your history and all. Because there, let me give you two of the experiences we had. Number one was we went there, and everything seemed to be made in heaven. People liked us. We liked them. Setting was nice, everything like that. But that soon changed, and we ended up with a church split. And people just felt like, you know, this isn't where we want to go. 
and you're not the guy we want leading us, and so, bye. A little while after that, uh, I ended up with a nervous breakdown. And uh, a lot of things just began to, to move from there very quickly. Some six weeks later, after this started, that nervous breakdown, I'd gone into the, into the hospital for three weeks and uh, came back. And uh, I was driving a truck on the way to Van Nuys, California, to be a part of the church on the way and to serve there. And uh, three weeks later, my wife, after she had sold a house, sold three cars, loaded up a truck with my son, and drove that truck to California. He joined me there as well here in California. Therefore, I always say, don't ever call or refer to my wife as a weaker vessel. <laughs> she ain't. Very strong lady and very good lady. And very thankful that she is my wife. I mean that with all sincerity. God brought us to the Church on the Way in Van Nuys, we served there in uh, various capacities and music office for some time, administrated the whole ministry there of that, and then served in pastoral care for uh, many years alongside uh, Pastor Kelly's father, Jim Nelson, and uh, just a dear, dear man, and love him in the Lord. He's my brother there. We left there, and um, we went to serve in Santa Creta, which is most recent, in 2008, until just last year, and uh, uh, served in, in pastoral care, and then Kathy was serving in the uh, finance office, and all the time doing various forms of ministry, Bible studies, and classes, counseling, all kinds of stuff that way. So there's oftentimes people will come to, back to me, and they'll say, ask me the question since we've been here, and they'll say, so why did you come to Santa Maria? You know, I, I'm, that's, I'm always a little awkward in that question because it's kind of like, is that a bad thing that I did? You know, I mean, is it, is it bad we came here? You know, I'm just not sure. And if we were to say, or I could say back, say, well, it's because there's family here. That's true. Kathy's family, we're near. We've never lived near them all of our lives. And uh, the last, uh, it'll be in June, 48 years that we've been married. And uh, we've never had the opportunity of being near them, and it's a joy to be able to do so and spend some time around them and beside them. That would be very true. Or if you wanted to say, well, it's because it's a slower pace of life, that would also be true. Believe me, when you live in L.A. and you come and live in Santa Maria, this is slow. Okay, now for some of you, you feel like, yeah, you've never been on Betteravia at 5 o'clock in the evening, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I have. <laughs> That's why I go in battles. But anyway. <laughs> but the real reason why we're here is because God convincingly and without any deniability showed us this is where we're supposed to be at this point in time of our lives. And the Lord was very clear in saying this was the church we were to be a part of as well. And that's another story that will maybe share at another point in time. <clears throat> it's an interesting thing when I was in Van Nuys, the Lord spoke to me at one point in time. And he said, Gary, one of the things that you'll be doing in your life is you're going to be writing books. And I thought at that point to myself, I thought, right. There was no logic to that in my mind. 
Uh, I hadn't finished even at that point my master's degree and, uh, and, and other things. Yeah, right. Who would ever care about reading a book that I write? And so I kind of shelved it, left it, let it be. When we came here, soon as we were in the process of moving here, the Lord spoke to me again. And he says, I meant what I said before, you're going to be writing books. And I want to say this to you, for those of you that say, God's spoken things to you along the way of your life. The period of time when God first spoke to me about writing books versus the time of coming here was 26 years. So be careful of coming along and making the assumption that because it seemed to take a period of time before the realization of some of those things taking place, that somehow that disqualifies it from being a word from God or being the truth of God for you. If God spoke something to you, you hold on to it. As I was preparing this message, one of the things the Lord spoke into my heart to share is about a story, a very simple story of my, my father's mother. Uh, dear, dear lady, and woman of God, prayer warrior like crazy. And uh, I'd love to tell you some stories along that line, but we don't have the time to do that this morning. But uh, she was a, a woman that prayed for her family. She believed that if the Deuteronomy teaches, the book of Deuteronomy teaches about that there could be curses that could be placed down to the third and fourth generations because of the sinfulness of people, that there could also be blessings. And so that's the way she prayed for her family. And she prayed for the blessing of God to flow over us into the third and fourth generations. Grandma passed away, and it was almost 20 years later that her eldest son, his name was Frank, came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord at 82 years old. Don't give up praying. Don't stop your praying for your loved ones that you've prayed for what seems like forever. Don't stop. So, well, what if happens like your, your grandma and I die? Your prayer didn't die. Your prayer did not die. Your physical body did. But your prayers did not. God stored that. And he will fulfill what's been commissioned for it to be done. So do not be afraid and move forward with that. That's for some people here this morning. You just needed to hear that. And I just want you to hold on to that for yourself. We're going to take a look at a, a very, very delightful and interesting and fascinating scripture this morning from Mark chapter 4. It has a lot of stuff in it. And uh, a lot of things and thoughts to be able to present. But uh, I think I heard something about the fact that there's a game this afternoon. So I'll try to be done before 3.30. And, uh, but I want to give you a simple setting for the Gospel of Mark, if you will, with me. The Gospel of Mark is written, obviously, by a man named Mark. Or we might also refer to him as we see him uh, shown in the book of Acts as John Mark. And uh, he was a young man that was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote. And yet at the same time, he had some input likely given to him by a man named Peter. Mark's writing is a little different than you're going to find in Matthew and Luke. 
That's primarily because his focus group that he's writing to is primarily Roman Christians. And so he's not going to use a lot of the uh, familiar terminologies and references to the Jewish background and Jewish heritage and things like that. You don't have a genealogy in, in Mark and various other things that would show about Jesus' roots from a Jewish standpoint. So he leaves those, many of those things out. Mark also records for us 21 different miracles that Jesus did in his life and ministry, more than any other of the Gospels. So his focus, his direction is kind of gives us a little bit of a different flow. And as we come to chapter 4, we've already had several people walk into areas of healing, people that have been delivered and set free by demonic powers. And in chapter 4 has been spent teaching. He's taught several parables. And we come to the end of that chapter, and that's where we pick up in verse 35, as you see on the screen. And it reads this way. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat, started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? We'll come back to that. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves, they obey him. Father, would you take the words that you allowed Mark to pen and you spoke into his heart and his life and you breathed into him. Now be breathed into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to look at just a few simple points in here. That is, evening came. Jesus had been teaching all day. And people have been there all day. So it's natural to kind of come to the place saying, okay, it's time to go home. And he's sending them away. And he's been out in a boat where he's been teaching from because of the press of the crowds. People would be pressing in. all, So they put him in a boat and he's teaching from there out to the people. And so now he's dismissing the crowds. They're going on home. And he's saying, okay, guys, uh, let's get in the boat. Let's go on over to uh, the other side of the lake. Let's cross over to the other side of that lake there. I want to ask a question of us. How much power is there in the words of Jesus? Is there enough power in the words of Jesus to take them from where they're at and move them all the way across the lake to get to the other side over here. Is there enough power to do that in the words of Jesus? Let me say it again. I don't think you got it. No. Is there enough power in the words of Jesus to carry them from here and take them and bring them all the way over to here? Okay, I think you almost got it. Oh. 
But he says, let's cross to the other side of the lake. That's where we're going, guys. That's where it's going to happen. And those words are beginning to go. Now, here's an interesting little thing, because Mark puts us a little bit of this phrase in here uh, where he says, and it notes in the fact that other boats followed them. So here's another question to in tandem with that. Is there enough power of Jesus' words to carry his boat and all the other boats to the other side of the lake? What's waiting for Jesus at the other side of the lake? Chapter 5, verse 1. Tells us there, it was the area called the area of the Gadarenes. Gadarenes were not Jewish people. Now, we know that very simply because of not only just the tradition, but also one of their jobs that they did there is they took care of pigs. Jews did not hang with pigs. (laughs) Jews, pigs did not come together. They were not compatible with each other. A lot of reasons for that. We can go into the Old Testament to make make the explanation, make that clear, but that was the case. So we know that that these were not Jewish people. But Jesus had an assignment that called him, go to the other side of the lake over here, that his father gave him, and said, you're going to be moving from here to there, and you need to come over because I have someone I need you to meet. Now, what's he going to meet? He's going to meet a man that, as the Scripture describes it, was filled, literally, with demons that were demonizing him, and he was wreaking terror in the whole area to the point that nobody could constrain him, nobody could stop him, nobody could do anything to bring about something to keep him from ravaging everything and scaring everybody that was going on, everything that was going around them. Jesus was going to go and meet that man. That's what was happening. Now, not only was that man terrorized, but there was a demonic influence that was over the whole area. Okay, get the setting of this. Get the context of what's going on here. Because it's very important as we look at this story of what's going to happen. Because the demons in that man began to realize, we know what he's done with other people that have had similar expressions of demonic influence into their lives. What he does is he speaks the word and those people are set free and those demons have to run scared. We don't want that happening here. So there's a little territorial problem going on here. And there's some large sense of fear that something's going to happen if he gets to the other side of the lake. All right, that's a cut setting. So what happens? The scripture says that there soon was a fierce storm came up. Now you have at least four fishermen in that boat with Jesus. These guys were used to storms coming up. I've been in storms like that. I like fishing. I enjoy that. I don't like uh, post-hurricane waves, you know, in a fishing boat. You know, they're not compatible because I no longer have a pole out the side of the, uh, the boat. I have me out the side of the boat, and I'm feeding the fish <laughs> as well. 
Not a, not a healthy, enjoyable period of time. These guys were used to storms. But the scripture describes it. And remember, Peter is helping explain some of this with Mark. And Peter is saying, this is a fierce thing going. I mean, this is bigger than norm. This is out of the ordinary. This isn't the, the regular run-of-the-mill storm out here. And water is coming in all over the place. And it's moving in onto the boat. And what are we going to do? <clears throat> Let me submit to us. The enemy was trying to come along with Jesus and says, we're going to put a pause button here and you're not getting to the other side of the lake. Where's that happening, you and me? We got the report about the cancer. We ended up having to walk through the misery and the trauma of a divorce. We got laid off from our job or fired from our job. We got accused of things we've never done before. Whatever it might have been that comes along in essence to say about us, say, you are not going to get and fulfill the purpose and plan of God with your life. This is what's going to happen. And Kathy and me, we've gone through those kind of things time and time again in our own lives. When I hit a nervous breakdown and all, I came and, and came out to Van Nuys, California here, and I was at a point where I said, I don't want to pray for anybody. I don't want anybody to know I'm a pastor or I've been a pastor, ever will be a pastor. And I don't want to have anybody have me say, oh, would you counsel with me? No! <laughs> you know, I mean, I, just being honest here. I mean, it's, it's that kind of a point where you just kind of say, okay, Satan, you want to push pause? I'll join you. I'll push it too, you know, as well. I don't want it either. Then Jesus comes along and says, let's go to the other side of the lake. I still have a purpose for you. I still have a mission for you. I still have a design for you. And I'm not done with you. Amen. But I'm done. So then there comes the conflict. Who do I surrender to? What I want or what he wants? Does that make sense to anybody? You apply it where you need to within your, your context and your situation. But it boils down to how hell is wanting to come along in any one of our lives and say, let's put a pause button on the plan and purpose of God for your life. And I want to prove to you it doesn't work. I'll tell you here today, the word of God works. Keep reading the word of God. Prayer works. Keep praying. Taking the time to be around and with the fellowship of believers works in your life. It will build you up, strengthen you, and enable you to move forward. As pastors been sharing and encouraging us toward that the deployment of moving out to speak and minister into the hearts and lives of people, it works. People get saved. People's lives are changed by the power of God. And for those of us that, that come along... And we would even say, you know, Gary, I, I've even tried, you know, praying with people, and they just get sicker. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> Understand that? I've had them die. So, you know, I, I got to the place at one point where I said, you don't want me praying for anybody, God. No, no, no you don't. they die, you know, and just kind of... The Word of God works. The promises of God are true. 
God is faithful to who he is, and he doesn't change. The thing we have to come to is to believe, not only believe about it, but to believe as though it affects and impacts our lives, and our lives are changed because of it and what he wants to do. They look around, the disciples say, where's Jesus? Now think about it. The water's coming all in and so forth. It's loud. It's noisy. The wind is, is howling. The water's gushing in. Surely by now, Jesus is all wet. I mean, think about it. You're in this boat, and all he's, he's laying on a cushion, whatever that means exactly, of some sort, and he's there, but he's got to be all wet. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, by the way, but uh, he is. And they finally come and they look around and say, he's sleeping. And uh, the question you have to ask is, how could Jesus sleep through this? I've been in those kind of storms, as I said, fishing before. And man, I wasn't asleep. No way. Not when that boat is going like this, you know, all the time and, and all. And you feel the water cushion in and you hear it along the side, slapping the side of the boat and things like that. You're not sleeping. Oh, no, 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 no. How's Jesus sleeping? Because the Father said, I want you to go from here over to here, and I have the capability, power, and willingness to get you from there to here so you can rest in me. How are you going to make it through what you're walking through right now? Because Jesus is walking with you. And because of the faithfulness and goodness of the living God that is there for you right now and takes you from here to there. And that's what does that for you. Finally, the disciples cry out to him and, and say, don't you care? We're drowning. We're going down. This is it. The party's over. It's been a nice ride for a while here. But I mean, this is it. Let me say it in another way. You know, don't you love me, God? Don't you care about what's going on in my life right now? Don't you see the misery, problems, difficulties I'm walking through right now? Don't you realize nobody's standing beside me? Nobody understands me? Nobody's here to be with me? It's always interesting how many people show up for a pity party. It's usually just me, myself, and I. I don't know about you. Maybe you send out invitations. But anyway, <laughs> I realized the reality was there was a real storm going on here. I'm not minimizing that point. There was a real storm happening. In the same way that you might say, Gary, doctors have said I got cancer and I got months to live. They're just foreclosing on my house. I don't know where we're going to go any number of other things that we might be facing. But again, what do you do? You go back to the word of God. And for Jesus, the word of God was, we go from here to there. What is the word of God for you right now? What has the Lord spoken into your heart and your life? I recently was battling, battling a real problem with uh, my feet. And uh, having some heels first. And they're very, very painful. 
And, uh, and yes, I've been to a podiatrist. Yes, I wear orthotics. Yes, okay, so you don't have to ask me all those things as well. And, uh, but they just hurt. And my wife had mentioned something to me, and then I'd read something, and then there was a third point of the same thing that was said. And I just, I sat in our living room, and I just finally said, okay, God, I'll do it. It was a simple action. It was go to you version in my Bible and pull up a search for feet and print out the scriptures that dealt with feet. And then I just said, Lord, which verses are the verses you would have me begin to lay claim to as to your power at work in my feet to bring healing and restoration to? And I pulled those out, and I think it was about six or seven verses. And I begin to, they're not all done, but I've begun to repeat those each day. Lord, I bring these before you. Your word says this. And I lay claim to the power that's held within your word. And I hold on to that for what you're going to do in bringing healing to my feet. In Jesus' name. What is the application for you into your situation? Apply it. Jesus, don't you care? He gets up. He speaks. He says, silence, be still. Who was he speaking to? He wasn't speaking to the, wind, the winds and waves alone. He's speaking to the forces that were behind those winds and waves that were there to push a pause on Jesus getting to the other side. What do you need to speak to in your life right now? What do you need to be speaking forth the word of God to and to say, I choose to believe in what God has to say, not in what the circumstance is over my life. It's not a denial of saying, you know, it's like me. Okay, yeah, I have no pain in my feet. I do. But the word of God is more powerful than what that is. Therefore, I declare the power of the word of God over that pain and that fact and say, I will believe in the truth of the word of God and not necessarily what the facts might be. Does that make sense? We begin to declare what God has to say and what the Lord wants to do with it. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Another translation puts it this way in the last question. Do you still have no confidence in my ability? Ouch. Ouch. I don't know if that hits you like it did me. God, do I have confidence in your ability? I have confidence in your ability to take me from here and get me to over here. Whatever that may mean in any one of our individual lives. Do I have confidence he can do that? Can he really do it? Will he do it for me? The disciples, they respond with, who is this guy? Let me suggest this to us as we think about it. And that is that who is our God? Who is Jesus to us? What is our image of God based upon Because that will make a determination about what I will do when the pause button gets pushed in my life. Whether from God or Satan, either way, it'll make a big difference about what my image and my impression of who God is and what he's all about. Because based on that, I will make decisions about what I will do. 
as I walk forward in that part of my life. Let me invite the worship team to come up, if you will, as we close real quickly. Pastor Tim shared with us some things last week that were so good as he closed. He said these four things, and got them all good, thank you. That God is not in a rush, and he's not, he's not in a hurry. Remember, he's got all eternity. Okay, it's just you and me. <laughs> we're, in a hurry. we're in a hurry. Come on, guy, let's go. You know, I got several advertisements on my phone this morning of different restaurants. Come in here, order ahead, pick up your food so you're ready for the Super Bowl. We're always in that rush and hurry. Here we go. And somehow we think God ought to keep up with us. I want to submit to you, we don't need to ask God to keep up with us. We need to learn how to keep up with him. Because God's already far ahead of where we're at. He just wanted us to tag along with him. God isn't just at work in my life. He's at work with a lot of people. And I could go in large respects about that in my own life. But uh, walking through a nervous breakdown, by the way, doesn't affect just me. Affects a wife, affects three kids. Everybody got uprooted. Everybody left everything they knew. Everything changed. Everything changed in our lives by that one simple thing. And yet God has brought about redemption after redemption after redemption through it. And God knows what he's doing. We have an enemy, and he's not silent. We've talked about that already, and God will complete what he began. He really will. One last story. When I was six years old, <clears throat> I had mentioned already my dad was pastoring, and um, at six years old, you, you can feel as though you know everything, and you can do anything. Okay, just me. All right, I got it. Okay, fine. You didn't relate with that. And so I messed up, sitting with some other people uh, Sunday morning. And so Sunday night, I was sitting on the front row. <laughs> Fortunately, it wasn't on the piano bench. But anyway, and so as I was sitting there and, uh, and sitting down and we had a missionary that was speaking. He was from Brazil. Real precious man of God. He was there. And uh, I don't know what he talked about exactly. I don't know what all he had. I'm sure he was talking mission stuff. And I'm sure it was good. Just knowing the man. But what happened to me was God gave me a vision. And the vision was seeing myself upside down hanging with something, I don't know, a rope or something by my feet. And I was hanging, dangling down, and underneath were these flames of fire, just going up like this. It was scary, very scary. And as I, I, I sat there, just dumbfounded, somehow in my mind, I understood those were flames of fire from hell. Don't ask me how I understood that. I don't know. I honestly don't know. 
but ditched it. And as I, I sat there looking, it just tears coming to my face. Service got done. We went home. I am over by my bedroom at the time. and <laughs> We have a house that has a uh, floor register. And uh, I'm standing over this floor register. And tears are coming down my face and dripping under this register thing right here. And steam is coming up like this, you know, and snot's coming out, all that kind of stuff. And so forth. And I'm just, I'm just bawling. My mom finally comes around, puts her arm around me, and says, What's wrong, Mary? I said, I'm going to hell, Mom. I'm going to hell. Yeah, I mean, it was as real as real could be to me. said, Gary, that doesn't have to be the case. And just led me to know Jesus is my Savior, my Lord, that night. And I, I thank God for that opportunity, but I've often gone back to that, and I said, God, why, why did you allow there to be such a dramatic, scary expression like that, you know, to happen? And the only answer I felt comfortable with that God has said or least spoken in my heart is that because I knew what my plans were for you and so did the devil. And if you didn't have something that anchored you and to realize that it literally scared the hell out of you, to realize you never wanted to go there, that the temptations that would come along in your pathway of your life that would tend to take you that direction you would never even entertain you never even want to go there and that you'd hold on to God I would pray nobody experiences that and I mean that sincerely that type of ex experience but it happened in my life and I'll tell you this I would no go more go back to hell's ways or go to hell's ways than I would anything else because I know the ultimate end is just a consuming of everything I thought I built and developed and put together in life. And it's nothing. It's nothing. You may be here this morning and you need to open up your heart to Jesus. I didn't say, share that story. In fact, I, I rarely share that story with anybody. It's not the kind of story that build excitement, joy, and happy, now praise God, hallelujah, you know, type of thing. It, is, it isn't. But I share it with you to say the heart of God for you if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, is that he doesn't want that to be your end either. He doesn't. And he has so much better for you. He loves you so much and he cares about you so deeply that he sent his son to say, here's how much I love you. And Jesus spread out his arms as far as he could and said, this is how much I love you. And he's never pulled them back as though to say, that's changed with that idea. But he's still holding them out to you, saying, here, receive my love for you. And I'd like to invite that if you're just here this morning, say, Gary, I know I don't know you or just heard a little bit about stuff about you and Jury's still out about whether I like you or not. But sincerely, I want to ask you. You say, Gary, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? 
want to ensure today, this day forward, this Super Bowl Sunday, I made a decision to follow Jesus.